0: You're listening to Pistola Endocrine Podcast. Hello, and welcome to Pastola Podcasts. I am Dr. Jeree Fries, and I'm one of the pediatric endocrinologists at Arkansas Children's Hospital. Joining us today is Dr. Juan Otero. Dr. Otero is a board certified pediatric endocrinologist at Arkansas Children's Hospital. In this episode, we will assess and analyze the current state of pediatric endocrinology from a workforce perspective. Our objectives for the day are to review current statistics of supply and demand in pediatric endocrinology as a workforce, analyze different factors affecting the supply and demand in pediatric endocrinology, and to describe potential solutions to challenges in the supply and demand balance in pediatric endocrinology. Welcome Dr. Otero, it's a pleasure to have you join us.
1: Thank you, uh, Dr. Freese, it's a pleasure to be here and I'm excited to um, get on board with this topic.
0: Okay, well, let's get started. So first, how likely are pediatric residents to choose pediatric endocrinology as a career choice?
1: Yes, so um, to answer that question, we have to look at multiple factors. So um, one thing is that this is a topic that has been trying, that has been um, Uh, looked on uh, for many years now, because um, obviously there have been concerns that at some point the supply was not going to be enough for the demand in the field of pediatric endocrinology. And that links us to looking into um, within that supply, how likely are currently our medical students and pediatric residents to choose pediatric endocrinology as a career choice. Um, I have to say that if you ask me today, uh, the answer is probably not very likely and obviously we all hope that that changes in the future. we are all looking for potential solutions for that uh, but there there needs to be change in certain areas to hopefully achieve um, a better likelihood of um, our students um, in pediatric residents to to choose pediatric endocrinology as a career. So we have uh, basically looked at what are the factors that may be affecting their uh, decision to go with pediatric endocrinology. And there are multiple factors, as I mentioned. One of the major factors is Uh, the financial compensation is actually definitely important. And why is that? Because if we look at um, the, let's say, cost uh, effectiveness of choosing pediatric endocrinology from a compensation standpoint, when you look at, uh, uh, for example, loans uh, and debt uh, for uh, medical students, um, then obviously at the end, the ratio does not pan out. The ratio does not work out, uh, especially um, if you look basically at, you know, right now, the average debt for medical students is in the, it's closer to $230,000. And then if you look at the remuneration at the um, actual revenue from um, pediatric endocrinology, that is um, definitely numbers don't really work out there. And then for some people, that actually may be a huge factor. So, um, uh, you know, we have a substantial number of medical students and pediatric residents which may uh, opt to choose a career that may be uh, better uh, pay, uh, the remuneration be better um, so that they can actually tackle that loan um, uh, amount um, sooner, obviously, rather than, than later. If we look at factors like, for example, length of um, training, um, overall, this doesn't necessarily seem to be a significant factor, but it could sometimes cause some people to look for a um, specialties where um, training time can be shorter, uh, we see that especially in the adult population, maybe not so much in the pediatric population. But if we want to talk about all the factors, that can definitely be a factor for some people. Or like um, We see that definitely uh a shorter duration of training can also mean um that you can actually uh become an attending sooner and start you know potentially making I guess better money sooner rather than later. So you can, for example, start paying uh, your 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 loan um, as well. Um, for some people, just basically the idea of becoming an attending sooner rather than later is just it's just more attractive um, rather than um, going into more uh, into lengthier um, training. Uh, there are um, factors inherent to the. Uh, Practice of pediatric endocrinology as well, that um, may not necessarily be a you know uh, attractive for some medical students or pediatric residents. Uh, In this include, for example, um, a lot of the exposure that uh, that students get and pediatric residents get to pediatric endocrinology is primarily inpatient. Um, So we have seen factors like. Like, for example, the fact that when you get exposed primarily to um, pediatric endocrinology uh, from an inpatient standpoint, you may be uh being in a way very sort of like um, monochromatic in a way, you're just focused mostly on diabetes, uh, and most of the learning comes from basically hospitalizations for sets or uh, patients in DKA, um, which for some for some people again may become something very limited, um, and and may not necessarily be um, as um, as nice and as broad as they would have expected um which is i mean we which is understandable obviously that's the bulk of what we do in patient but unfortunately because of the way things are structured right now again the prime for the um the primary exposure to pediatric endocrinology happens that way. And, uh, you know, again, for some people, you know, usually when, when we have, for example, recurrent patients with recurrent decay, those are the patients that are usually dealing, dealing with a lot of like social situations, um, that there can be, you know, other factors, other non-clinical factors involved in the care of those patients. And that may not be as attractive. Um, so for some again, for some people, not having that capacity of actually or that availability of, of being exposed to a more uh, wide range of diagnosis and, and understand a little bit better the continuity of care of pediatric endocrinology may actually kind of, kind of like blind them to actually what in reality, is pediatric endocrinology. So that is another factor to um, take into account. Um, other factors that may also make it less likely um, for, uh, for people to go into pediatric endocrinology may be the lack of procedures. We have heard of that before, and, and that continues to be definitely a factor that... Um, that plays a role or may influence this decision uh, in, in, in mentees uh, or students. And basically, you know, because of the lack of procedures uh, and that links back to probably lack of, uh, you know, adequate um, uh, pay, uh, that may just be factors that, you know, basically would um, determine, uh, one's decision to choose these a, as, a, as a career choice. Um, so as I said, if we talk about likelihood, um, we have uh, you know less, our, our students and our pediatric residents are probably less likely to choose pediatric endocrinology as a career choice um, right now. If we look at from a statistics standpoint, so we kind of like analyze what factors um, play a role in that? So, if we actually now look at statistics, then this has been demonstrated by the trend of um, uh, basically uh, page, uh, uh, pediatric residents applying to pediatric endocrinology over the last few years. Um, you know, kind of like how many positions are um, available, how many positions are filled what's the um, sort of like uh, candidate to position um, ratio. So if we look at that, um, we actually can see that for the last, um, for the last few years, what we have seen is that the um, candidate to position ratio is actually uh, less than one. Uh, It has been the trend for the last few years. Uh, According to statistics statistics from the NRMP for 2020, that ratio was 0.7, which means that there is less than one candidate per available position, uh, or there was less than one candidate per available position. Um, And that seems to be the trend uh, over the last few years, if you look at the statistics, where, again, um, this number has not really been greater than 1%. Uh, for the last few years. If we look at the uh, statistics for last year, a little bit in depth, um, only uh, 52% of patients, of programs, sorry, got um, their positions filled, which left uh, 48% of uh, programs on uh, with positions on field. And um, only 65 positions out of 110 positions that were posted, that were available, were actually filled. Um, so definitely we are seeing a trend uh, where the supply is becoming limited because of the circumstances. Um, You know, looking at back in 2014 when the endocrine society um, organized a task force to look at the current status of the uh, endocrinology and pediatric endocrinology workforce, um, The numbers at that point were actually a little bit optimistic, thinking that um, if things continue, the way they were happening back there, where like the fellowship positions had increased and the number of applicants had increased as well, uh, would continue, we would actually close a gap between supply and demand. So the the projections were a little bit optimistic back, back then, but unfortunately, this did not did not happen. And the uh, um, number of applicants applying to available positions became very stagnant. And as I mentioned before, it's just represented by the fact that the um, only, you know, the, the ratio of candidates to uh, available positions was only 0.7 last year. So um, that just gives, gives us a general idea of, you um, you know, how likely are our students to choose pediatric endocrinology as a career? Um, obviously, we, we, we are biased by the fact that being pediatric endocrinologists, obviously, we, we, we know how wonderful this field is, but there are definitely factors that we have to take into account and that we have to look on um, to basically try to address this problem.
0: Great. Thank you for sharing all of those numbers and everything. What do you think are the main factors driving the demand for pediatric endocrinologists currently?
1: Yes. Yeah, so that now, if we switch gears to the demand, definitely important to address what are the um, kind of like what is in, on the horizon uh, projected from a demand demand standpoint in what we need to do again to um address that gap between supply and demand. So we know uh, already about the current um, obesity pandemic. Um, that's a big, big issue here um, uh, in the United States. Uh, and then that's definitely one of the biggest factors that is driving the demand for pediatric endocrinologists. Um, with the expectation that, you know, or with the projection that uh, you know, obesity rates continue to go high. Uh, there is definitely a need for uh, pediatric endocrinology care, mostly driven by the fact that the higher obesity rates will be uh, driving higher um, type 2 diabetes rates. But also, as we already know, we definitely um, have now more involvement in other potential comorbidities like hypertension, uh, dyslipidemias, uh, uh, fatty liver disease, and such. So there has been definitely a higher um, number of patients requiring pediatric endocrinology care um, over the last few years. Um, with that being said, the second factor that also drives that demand higher is the higher rates of type 2 diabetes, higher rates of type 1 diabetes, which that seems to be also the trend recently. Um, and if we add to that the current pandemic and what we already know about how um, the COVID-19 pandemic is also basically um, potentially driving higher rates of um, type 1 Diabetes as well, and complications in, in type two diabetics. Um, so certainly, the role of the pediatric endocrinologist becomes even more important. Um, we also have seen that uh, with some policy implementations, if there is uh, higher access to the health system, obviously that allows for better, um, um, or I guess for higher number. Uh, of uh, patients that can access the care of a pediatric pediatric endocrinologist if needed Um, and we have seen also sort of like a trend for uh, where um, primary care providers and you know including pediatricians uh, now obviously have you know in a way also switch to you know be able to access those services, and that has definitely driving a higher um, demand for um, pediatric um, is currently. So if we look basically at all the factors, we do see that even though the projection was for potentially uh, about the same, um, I guess, pediatric endocrinologists to population rate to remain stable, that has not been the case. Um, so if we look at numbers, uh, there are even certain areas in the country where that ratio can be as, um, as you know, as I guess significant or as, uh, I guess, uh, alarming as one pediatric endocrinologist per uh, Three to five hundred uh, uh, population or people, um, so definitely that stresses out the importance of um, pediatric endocrinologist, uh, you know, nationwide, but even w- with more recent in, in certain areas. So uh, again, the projections are that if we again continue to see the current rates in um, the current increasing rates in obesity. Type 2 diabetes uh, and complexity of other um, endocrine diagnosis that uh, certainly uh, only pediatric endocrinologists would be able to take care of. Uh, that demand is just the demand is just expected to um, increase.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, great points. How likely are current pediatric endocrinologists to stay active in this field?
1: So if we look at some um, data from certain surveys that have been done by um, the Pediatric um, Endocrine Society, um, we, we can see that um, the likelihood is that, yes, um, especially pediatric endocrinologists, um, uh, well, pediatric endocrinologists are likely to stay active uh, but we have seen that the scores in job dissatisfaction have um, increased, um, especially related to um, burnout and uh, other factors like the the ones pre- uh, mentioned previously. Were like again as a as a job as a career, uh, it, we definitely have things that are not again as attractive um, as a career. So we are likely to. Um, to stay active, uh, but at the same time, if things don't get better, we can definitely start seeing, you know, more um, dissatisfaction. Um, right now, um, for example, um, there are about 1,500 more or less active pediatric endocrinologists. However, the actual number of bore um, 35 uh, board certified, uh Pediatric endocrinologists is a little bit lower, but um, generally speaking, uh, most of the pediatric endocrinologists are active. Um, but again, that is, is, is largely related uh, or determined by by many other factors. Um, we do know that um, this can. Be affected by the attrition rate, which is how many pediatric endocrinologists retire every year. We do know that um, about twenty-one percent of our uh, pediatric endocrinology workforce are uh, over the age of sixty. So they are. There is a number there that is expected to uh, potentially retire soon. Although uh, there, there have been some reports that. Um, Pediatric endocrinologists do or are, are, are likely to still work until um, ages up to 70, 75 years old. Um, we also see that um, there has been a um, trend towards also um, seeing more uh, pediatric endocrinologists, um, I guess, uh, working part time. Um, so that has also been a trend. So if we look at uh, basically clinical production that uh, seems to have also changed numbers there were like that can definitely be affected. and then so, um number of active pediatric endocrinologists may not necessarily be a good reflection of the whole supply. um so even though that as a factor, may again, may not necessarily be hugely effective because most pediatric endocrinologies are likely to stay active. Um, there are things that definitely, again, need to be, um, addressed for that. Um, we do see basically that, um, you know, there is a significant, um, gap there. Um, so and, and, and basically factors like the ones that I mentioned affecting you know how likely someone is to stay active, um, you know, have not yet, well, have not really again affected that final decision, but at the same time, um, we have not really been able to do a lot to, to close that gap. So I was looking at the Pediatric Endocrine Society um, job board yesterday, and I think there are about 46 positions Uh, you know, uh, posted, uh, and I saw positions from even back to October that have not been filled. So there is a need for pediatric endocrinologies, as I said, uh, obviously, active pediatric endocrinologies, as I said, most of of the pediatric endocrinologies now um, are active, but that doesn't yet Feel uh, the gap uh, in the need for more pediatric endocrinologists.
0: Um, you touched on this a little bit earlier, but what do you think the impact of COVID-19 has been in our field?
1: It's been huge for sure, as we obviously could infer, but if we look at um, specifics of it, uh, for once, obviously it sort of like significantly change the way that we practice medicine so this has affected uh, medicine as a whole Um, so if anything basically what you can um, the the I guess the the end point of this change in the way that we practice medicine was uh, definitely increase uh, burnout Increases stress in the way that we that we practice medicine. So, if we were a field that were, was already showing significant rates of burnout, uh, the COVID nineteen pandemic just uh, increased that. Um, if we look at Uh, Other factors, as I said, it may actually have increased the demand for pediatric endocrinologists, not only because there seems to be a potential uh, link of uh, COVID-19 in um, higher um, risk of developing uh, type 1 diabetes or triggering type 1 1 diabetes, but as well um, also patients, complex uh, patients that are basically complicated by COVID-19 infectious and may be having some, you know, associated endocrine um, issues. Um, and then obviously, um, you know, it has also been a major challenge for patients having access to pediatric endocrinology uh, and such. So it's the, at, the same, at the same rate, actually, I should say that also it may affect the supply because I know with obviously not being able to have as much exposure to, uh, to clinical settings for medical students. Uh, Let's say pediatric residents that have had to modify their rotations in a way um, also like the way we conduct interviews and whatnot has also changed. It has also made be, you know, or made challenging also uh, recruitment and, and basically uh, the, um, allocation of, of supply there. So, um, because of many factors, we as a, as a field have, have felt significantly impacted by COVID-19 and, and we, we expect to see again that we, I guess we're, we, I guess we should, I should say, I don't expect that to, to, to change anytime soon. So we definitely, uh, need to be mindful of that, aware of that situation and, you know, hopefully come up with some also uh, solutions or interventions to address that, address the fact that definitely our colleagues, um, or we, we as a, as a workforce, workforce in general, we are definitely stressed, burnout, and tired, uh, and that definitely needs to be taken into consideration.
0: All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Tara, for joining us today and sharing your insight. I also want to thank everyone for listening today to Pestola Podcasts.
1: Thank you. Thank you for the invitation, uh, and I hope that everyone enjoyed the podcast.
0: You're listening to Pistola Endocrine Podcast. For more information about Pistola, please visit Pistola.org.